Okay, next up we have the Soviet Yugoslavia Award for General and Historical Ignorance. Uh, this is a consistent category. Uh, it's the Stupidity Award, basically, short-sightedness, general ignorance, and historical revision that's yep. gone on this year. So we start with uh, F.E. Deans. Mm-hmm. I can think of no European country that is as hostile to Britain and British interests. What well, It even aims to annex our territory. Why do we treat Ireland as a friend? <laughs> Nothing in Irish history is unusual in a historical context. Context. There were wars and famines everywhere. <laughs> Especially when Britain were involved. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Um, next we have uh, Joe Reynolds, Fubby. Uh, in the 90s, people came to the UK on the back of lorries without much English as illegals. But within a couple of years, were working for £100 plus a day without bothering to categorise themselves according to their disadvantages. Uh, see, that was just the, that's how good Shawstart was. That is a that uh, th- I have to admit that's a brand new one on me. Like, mm. oh, migrants were so much better in the nineties. <laughs> that is that is very new because obviously you have the kind of oh, you know, Indians and Afro Caribbeans came yeah. to this country and they they integrated. Damn it! Even yeah. though you know they were constantly criticised in exactly the same way as they are now. Yeah, as uh, migrants are now. But yeah, that's a new one on me. Yeah. Um. Next, we have Mark Easton, who is a BBC uh, journalist. After Enoch Powell's infamous Rivers of Blood speech in 1968, UK politicians politicians who talked about immigration were likely to be accused of playing the race card. The topic was barely discussed for over three decades. (laughs) Then in 2004, without any serious public debate, Tony Blair's Labour government agreed to allow citizens from new members of the EU to come to Britain without restriction. Yeah, that's definitely what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's, I that's, mean, you, that's how I remember you, it. You would never hear anyone talking about immigration from 1968 to <laughs> 2004. It never came up. Oh. How do you seriously sit there and fucking say that? That I. Oh. That's a lie. It's an out. That's yeah. not just mistake. That's a lie. You're specifically lying to. <laughs> rehabilitate anti-migrant politics yeah oh my goodness uh next we have ah the old standby francis wheatman all righty uh i legitimately wonder whether western hard leftists understand or care that making a meme out of mao that says shut up liberal is ridiculously offensive to anyone from china it's like taunting jewish people with a picture of hitler telling them to shut up literally anyone from china you would be hard pressed to find a single person in all of China that <laughs> I, doesn't I hate would, Mao. All of them. I, Every single I, one of them. I don't particularly need to get into how <laughs> Chinese people feel about Mao in order to say that drawing a comparison between Mao and Hitler <laughs> is completely historically illiterate. Yep. You know? Ah, yes, Mao, famous for trying to kill as many Chinese people as possible. Yep. Uh, <sighs> uh, next, we have Catholic Brit. This is some random, random okay. account. Uh, talking about Boris um, saying he didn't, uh, he doesn't talk about Brexit any. Boris doesn't talk about Brexit anymore because he said, like the Glorious Revolution, it's done, over. Uh, Catholic Brit says the glorious revolution was the overthrow of the rightful British leader by an unelected European leader all engineered by a British elite desperate to cling to their power and wealth sound familiar? (laughs) our talking heads are historically illiterate (laughs) if you don't know the glorious revolution was the overthrow of the the, the Stuart King uh, James II by um, uh, a confederation of Protestant nobles and they invited James's daughter who was married to the dutch print well stat holder roughly prince um william of orange and they came over with an army and protestant britain was saved and they weren't catholic they weren't going to be taken back to papacy papist stuff yeah um an a rightful british leader by an unelected (laughs) european leader it's like they're kings they're all unelected you (laughs) dolt you fucking idiot oh my goodness uh, next, we have Andrei Kozlowski. 
literacy was always the most basic tool of totalitarian propaganda. Definitely. If you are not literate, if you are not literate, you can't be fed communist propaganda. The most <laughs> steadfast anti-communist I knew in my childhood was my maternal grandfather, who was illiterate. Communist <laughs> propaganda did not reach him. <laughs> Rules. Oh, it's such that a rules. good one. That that rules because like that is properly like reduce the peasant class to a pre-literacy state to stop communism. <laughs> to be fair, I could see someone putting forth that. Well, they, they they try it all the time with like um, reducing oh, yeah. what they're allowed to read. They'll just mm. eventually they'll just say, "Well, look, any any written word is just too offensive." You're allowed to read the Bible and the Book of English Common Prayer. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this is someone called the Book Skilv. Okay. Uh, said NASA has done the only thing Americans can actually take pride in, and it's one of the government agencies where the country sees a significant return on each dollar spent in their budget with research and development. Don't shit on NASA. Someone brings up what about Operation Paperclip, which was using ex-Nazi scientists to develop rockets. Uh, the Book Skilv replies, and that's one of the best <laughs> redemption arcs in human history. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have next soft left 97 you're straw manning what we think patriotism is you're talking about historical events that happened many years ago and think that those events are integral to what we see as being patriotic what of course that's what patriotism is mm. what is it if it's not like looking to what your country did and thinking those events are integral uh... I, I don't I don't yeah, I expected more yeah. from you, Soft Left ninety seven. Yeah, it is true. I try to like get some of the no name accounts, like the anonymous ones, but some of them are too good to like pass up. Yeah, uh, this is very much not anonymous. Uh, Majid Nawaz. Ooh. Oh, that's see the Bill... thing is that's a, that's it's disappointing because now he's a Q guy, but that's happened this year. There is, I mean, he has been leaning towards it, as you will see with this with this with this nut. Beware, Kremlin-backed online disinformation includes character assassinations of Western icons like Churchill, racist, <laughs> Gandhi, racist and paedophile, Madiba, that's Mandela, yeah. a terrorist and a sexist against Winnie, and MLK, a serial womanizer. They also seek to co-opt Malcolm as violent. Why? Malcolm meaning Malcolm X. Like, mm -hmm. What? Strong... Yeah. Strong, non-violent POC icons are our leaders and teachers. They are no, well known to us. Mahatma, Madiba, Martin and Malcolm. We don't need your communist Stalin, Mao, Castro and Che to appropriate our voice and struggle. But... What? <sighs> I, I, right, two things. Western icons, like Gandhi. Yep, definitely a Western icon. <laughs> That's literal appropriation. Yeah. Um, also, to co-opt Malcolm as violent. Yeah, he's. I've heard him on the radio like, talk about it before. He only he uh, says I like mean, Malcolm gave up violence, and he said it was all bad. Yeah, and it's like, you know that that's he had very like intricate views around the use of force and violence mm -hmm. for political ends, but also like, like Mandela. It's like, you know we have the internet, right? You know yeah. we have footage and books and actual TV images of the things these people said and wrote and their thoughts. Yeah. Like, you're a... F oh. <laughs> but again, it, it, this is him desperately flailing to try and find his thing. Yeah. His spiked thing that he will get invited onto chat shows to talk about. Mm -hmm. So he tried that for a little bit, and uh, I'm sure it will be something else soon. Oh, cute. Um... Yeah. Uh, next, we have Marlon Solomon. Um, there was a long conversation in some kind of Twitter thread about anti-Semitism in Irish nationalism, okay. or perhaps oh. more accurately, about how Irish nationalism is anti-Semitic. Uh, he said, I often wonder if that's partly why left anti-Semitism seems particularly acute in Liverpool. Celtic people being naturally hostile towards occupation, theological anti-Semitism, and perhaps not having many visible Jews also plays a part. Jesus. I remember the Celts are anti-Semitic thing. I mean, I know it's it's very difficult to be racist against a particular city, especially in yeah. 2021 yeah. or 2020, but he managed it somehow. Yeah. Uh, he did he did later apologize for this. Um, okay. These these comments. But it's just yeah, naturally hostile towards occupation rather than accepting it like a good people would. <laughs> you fucking moron, you fucking idiot. Oh. 
And also, I thought it was not supposed to be about Israel. <laughs> um, next, we have James Barr, who wrote in Unheard, oh. the Stupid Cow website, who are Lebanon's real friends? This was about a um, visit that Macron had made to Lebanon after the enormous explosion at the port. Oh, yeah. Um, and had basically said, yeah, you need to, um, like, pay back a load of money. You need to... He was basically acting as, like, an, his own mini IMF. Yeah. Um, but this article, that's not what I'm going to focus on with this article. It's, imagine Boris Johnson had visited a former British colony still jangling after a terrible and humiliating disaster and told its people that he was giving their government three weeks to clean up its act or else. That is precisely what the French leader did in Beirut last Thursday. His intervention effectively ensured the collapse of the Lebanese government. The comparison is disappointingly abstract because there is no former British colony that is remotely similar to Lebanon. The bond <laughs> that Britain has with Malta or Cyprus or Israel, has nothing on what many French people feel for Lebanon, a country they ruled briefly between 1919 and 1946, but with which they share a history going back to the Crusades. Yes, imagine a British <laughs> Prime Minister turning up in an ex-colony and telling them what's what. Imagine David Cameron turning up with a poppy to China. Uh, next we have Laura Rosen in response to uh, somebody asking, what is going on with Florida's response to coronavirus? She says, America is not Soviet Ukraine or China. The public is not going to stand for an extended Chernobyl-like fuck-up. People have raised Flint, Hurricane Katrina and Puerto Rico. And I'm not saying the US does not screw up, but this crisis has some difference from those. It's extended over time, it's nationwide, and seems likely to have sustained top public and media attention. Just say it's white people. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously, that's the, one of the most obvious things without actually using the words to say, just say white people. Why does it have, why is it extended over time? Why does it have public and media attention? You know why. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is a fun one. Bruce's Ben in September uh, <laughs> posted a meme from like Turkish internet. Okay. Um, saying, it is difficult to be Turkish. You fight with the whole world. It is more difficult not to be Turkish. You fight with the Turkish. <laughs> and he put, this, he put this still uh, of image of a, like a movie of warriors on horseback. Nice. Um, somebody replies, oh, well, that's from a movie about Genghis Khan. Why are you doing it in this? And he responds, Genghis Khan is Turkish. Fantastic. Just that. <laughs> yeah, you, just, you don't need to follow up with anything. He said it all. Nope. <laughs> Uh, next, we have in his first appearance on this list, James Ball, Jimmy oh. Bollock. He's, he's been quite quiet this year, hasn't he? Or is it because uh, I blocked him on Twitter? It's probably because you blocked him. He he varies back and forth. Um, in this time, he said, as a postscript, Biden probably ran on the most left-wing platform a Democratic <laughs> general election had in modern history. Sometimes the party needs to learn to take a win. Uh, yeah, we'll see about that. Like, yeah. just suspending that like <clears throat> innocence mm -hmm. it's like i'm just an innocent i'm just a, a neutral trans actor here gov yeah. i don't have any politics of my own just pathetic uh next we have david Badil. Mm -hmm. uh so the context for this is some guy wrote a load of anti-racist graffiti around broadstairs mm -hmm. and put up dickens racist on the dickens museum there okay um and david Badil uh tweeted that it's interesting that Furious Graffiti Man had to find something said in an 1857 letter about the Indian mutiny to feed his furious conviction that Dickens was racist, as there, in plain sight on the page for years, has been Fagin, hashtag Jews don't count. Um, and, like, basically saying, oh, you ignored, yeah. you ignored like, anti-Jewish racism. Not that, by the way, David Badil has any problem with Dickens, has ever expressed a problem with Dickens ever before. Yeah. You know, he, he's still a British political figure that is uncancelled and it's fine. And, yeah. you know, um, there was also the fact that, yeah, the yeah, the graffiti guy who put this stuff up, Ian Driver, actually wrote a an explanation specifically calling Dickens anti-Semitic in his depiction of Fagin. Well, of course, because <laughs> David like, would never look too much too far into it. It's like, no, he literally did it. It's like, you're, yeah. no. Uh, next we have oh Oscar another person I didn't really cover last year because of boredom. Um, 
Saddam Hussein was one of the most prolific mass murderers of the 20th century, and as a result of a disastrous and strategically incompetent war, an entire generation of people has grown up falsely believing that overthrowing dictators is more evil than the dictators themselves. I like the the notion of, like, if only this had been a competently done war. Yeah. I, the thing I love most about Ozkatji is that it's funny how his targets just happen to lie with the global hegemon, uh, align with the global hegemon's <laughs> enemies. Like, you never hear him talking about overthrowing the Thai king. No. Or, you know, impos- imposing a no-fly zone over Saudi. No. It's, f- it's funny how that works, isn't it's, it? It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, next we have Ben Judah, mm-hmm. uh, who said, uh, revisiting the Irish, Irish theme, <laughs> Irish history theme, I think he seems to really like, actually. Um, the current furore over the withdrawal agreement has got me rereading how Eamon de Valera progressively violated and then dismantled the 1921 Anglo-Irish Treaty and weathered the economic war that followed. Two historical echoes. De Valera said the 1921 Treaty, a withdrawal agreement, if you like, <laughs> pause for groans, mm-hmm. Um uh, saw the 1921 treaty as not having achieved full independence and not truly binding as it was imposed. Britain, the hegemonic trading partner, restricted access to its market to push Ireland to fold. Uh, the historical lessons from the 1932 to 1938 dismantling of the Anglo-Irish Treaty would seem to be, pause for more groans, treaties viewed as imposed are less likely to stick. Serious costs in overturning them. Trade realisations fail to reimpose them. Geopolitics... Yeah, so so like if you don't, like if you don't understand, like the the basic thing was that he's saying is that Brexit is like the treaty, independence treaty between Ireland and the UK. Yeah, in that you have one hegemonic trading partner and one uh, lesser partner who wants to escape from it, and yeah. you know uh, find finding it difficult, and it's like yes, the Anglo-Irish treaty like did things like still required an oath of loyalty to the crown. It only really gave a dominion status. They still had like a governor general. The UK would still control treaty ports. Mm-hmm. So it's like there are other significant differences between Brexit and Irish liberation. Like, yes. oh, I don't know, famine, war, <laughs> centuries of oppression, cash crops, seizing land, suppression of the language, nationwide discrimination, <laughs> police repression, you know, Maybe it doesn't just come down to the treaty afterwards. Just maybe. <laughs> it's like, you you say all this shit, all of this fucking shit, and it's like, hmm, it's a very interesting historical parallel, except for all the things which are different, which is most things. <laughs> you know, it would, yeah. the, the, if, if they had an Anglo-Irish treaty, the comparison would be the UK has to sing O to Joy. Oh, yeah. and the EU had direct control over, like, Dover, Southampton, Plymouth, Felixstowe, uh, Tilbury, all those places. Yeah. You know, it's fucking ridiculous. Anyway. Next we have Heyadora 3, uh, who tweeted, just a reminder that Corbyn was planning to lead a mob of his supporters on a victory rampage through Jewish areas of London after the local elections of 2018. Yep. After the local elections. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. So aside from the fact that it's untrue. Corbyn, <laughs> Corbyn leading a mob of his supporters is objectively horseshit. Yeah. Um, the 2018 local elections were like widely thought of as not all that great for Corbyn. Yeah. Like they won some seats, but the vote barely moved. But also, like it wasn't a huge victory. Also, like as you know, we choose we like choosing a, a moment to enact widespread racial hatred. Um. The results of a local election seems like not like the the most auspicious time. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we won the councils, now we have all the power. But it fucking kills me that they actually didn't. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, exactly. I mean? They didn't. They didn't. It's ridiculous. Also, planned. Did he think that he, was, that he planned to? But then he was stopped by what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what was what stopped him? You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next, we have Jake Turk. Okay. Uh, on the the uh, U.S. on U.S. independence, leaving the British Empire was a mistake. Emancipation would have happened decades sooner and with less long-term kowtowing to white Southerners. And since colonization was already a given, we'd have a more diverse and far more Asian and non-Christian population. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Incredible. But what they're saying is because the British Empire uh, imported labor for its own use to places like in South America and the Caribbean, that the US would have been more like, would have had more Indian and Chinese populations. And so therefore emancipation would have happened quicker. It's as if Jamaica was like a racial, (laughs) racial paradise. Yeah, it's a view. (laughs) It's a it's a take. Uh, Next, we have oh, this is a hot one. Paul Krugman. Okay. Overall, Americans took 9-11 pretty calmly. <laughs> Notably, there wasn't a mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment and violence. Wow! Which could all too easily have happened. And while George W. Bush was a terrible president, to his credit, he tried to calm prejudice, not feed it. Oh. Hot. That is oh, spicy. I touch the oven. Yeah. That is hot. That's special, that one. Man. Uh, There wasn't a mass outbreak. It just slid its way into literally every part of culture. Yeah. Every part of mass media and culture had it in it for about... I mean, up until now, there's still mostly... the most. There's a lot of popular culture that still has, you know, like the Muslim terrorist as the figure of of hatred, you know? Like, you're fucking kidding me. That's ridiculous. Uh, next, we have Rishi Sunak. Ooh. The government is not some entity that has its own money. The government <laughs> only has money because people pay taxes and we borrow money. That's how we fund what we do. That's why I'm careful with how we spend money. It's often why I will say, look, we can't do absolutely everything that people want. The, <sighs> that is a classic. That's an all-time classic. The government is not some entity that has its own money. Yeah. That's, 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 always that's a good beautiful. One. Yeah. Uh, next we have oh, another hot one, the Daily Mail. Uh, they ran an article correcting the uh, alleged historical errors of The Crown, the TV show that aired its fourth season this year. Yeah. Episode one of the new series opens with the Queen riding out of Buckingham Palace for Troop in the Colour, with a voiceover from the IRA that could easily give the impression to younger viewers who don't know the history that Ireland was occupied by Britain in the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful yeah. that's beautiful oh. um, next we have Dan Hannon one thing that distinguishes the United States from most of its hemisphere the principle that the rules are above the rulers Latin America has had 200 constitutions the US is still on its first that in a nutshell is why the movement of population has been overwhelmingly one way American democracy rests on precedent, norms, unwritten rules. Winners display restraint and losers signal consent. The rule of law, nothing else, is why the United States is richer and freer than Latin America. Ah, The Constitution famously unchanging. Aside from, yeah, the Constitution famously unchanging. Yeah, Latin America has had a lot of institution constitutions. It really has. Doesn't appear. To, doesn't winners don't appear to. Uh, lo- you know, losers uh, don't seem to signal their consent that often. I wonder why that is. <laughs> why could that possibly be? Contra to his opinion. <laughs> also, a lot of these constitutions in Latin America all seem to be written in English. <laughs> Yeah, the School of the Americas seems to be rubbed out at the top and whatever country this is put in, you know. They're not even the name of the country, just says whatever country this is. Whatever country this constitution is found in. Uh, Next we have Casey Neistat, uh, Mm -hmm. who opined, if you could be born at any time in history, when would it be? Um, For me, it would be 1900. Fight in World War One, Roaring Twenties, Great Depression. Then experience the 50s and 60s in my 50s and 60s. Enjoy my twilight years with the modern conveniences of the 70s and die in the 80s before all this internet bullshit starts. <laughs> missing out uh, missing out some quite important events there. Yeah. Um, Great Depression. Doesn't even mention World War Two. <laughs> there's like... Yeah. There's like... No. <laughs> this is like a hard no to being born in 1900. Also, assuming you're going to live to your 80s... Yeah. ...is it's a, a bit big much for someone, for someone born in 1900. Again, yeah, you know, like, assuming that whatever time you hate the most 
is the worst possible time for mm-hmm. human history. It's like, no, no, like the 2010s and the 2020s, despite declining living standards, are still better to live in than the 1920s. Yeah. Like they are, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people. Anyway. Uh, oh, okay. This is a spicy one. Hot and spicy as well. Okay. Diane Abbott. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm. And now you think I'm going to go with some, oh, I can't remember maths. No, I'm sophisticated <laughs> and principled. This is what she said. Uh, for years, America prided itself on bringing democracy to the global south. Oh. Now somebody needs I to explain democracy now. to Trump. Citation <sighs> desperately needed for bringing democracy to the global south, Diane. Oh, Come she on. knows better. Come on. Oh, she knows better uh, than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we have Carol Cadwallader. Oh, okay, that's a lot. She says a lot. She's a new one, yeah. Uh, Some youngsters on here won't remember the run-up to the invasion of Iraq, the fever and the triumph, the roar of the jets (laughs) taking off from Bryce Norton, the toppling of the statue. Don't you remember us going to Bryce Norton to witness and hear the roaring of the jets? I remember us doing that. Uh, Excuse me, I did go to Bryce Norton. I was waving a Hezbollah flag. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Don't know why. Hezbollah <laughs> had no had no stake in the war in Iraq, but I thought I'd get one anyway because I couldn't find the Iraqi Republican Guard flag. Or <laughs> did I even know if they had a had an actual flag? But there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, so where was I? Oh yeah, the fever and the triumph. Uh, this, this needs a build up. They won't remember the invasion of Iraq, the fever and the triumph, the roar of the jets taking off from Bryce Norton, the toppling of the statue. But they'll remember the fish, the promises. The lies, the cues <laughs> of lorries, the fucking fish. <laughs> Aside from anything else, oh. Carol, no one remembers what was fucking promised from Brexit from last year. Yeah. What makes you think they're going to fucking remember the fish stuff? Yeah. Seriously, no, oh. they're not going to remember that. I love the they? way that there's so many of these fucking piece of shit liberals that were in favour of the Iraq war when it happened. Because mm. like, there's, there's so many of them pretend that they, they weren't in favour of yeah. it when it was happening. I remember how mm. I remember what it was like talking to fucking dickheads about it, about the Iraq war. The worst then, one was, it has to be done. Yeah. and um, As if it was a decision you had to make there and then. Acting like people, are, like Brexit is going to be like like the Iraq war for a lot of, for like a lot of people our age and stuff, of this is a disgusting thing that should never happen again. And it yeah. like be it fundamentally affect how we look at nearly all politics, and they're like, "Oh no, Brexit will do that for everybody because it's obviously melted my brain." You know what people remember? The disruption in the supply chains. Yeah, people go. No, they don't. It's the supply chain of goods to this country, like consumer goods to this country, is literally the easiest thing to hide. It, like there's so yeah. much infrastructure like around it, and it's the easiest fucking thing to hide. Yeah. Unless, of course, you're working in it, which increasingly you are. But even then, you only see one bit of it. Mm. It's the it's just no one knows how the shit gets to the shops, which <laughs> is why they don't understand when there are shortages. That's why they get angry. You know, if they mm. understood about the fish, they would understand, but they don't. <laughs> oh, idiot, idiot, idiot. Uh, next we have at Revo, mm-hmm. uh, another rando. Our ancestors treated sex with the utmost reverence, restricting it to the sacred ritual of marriage. We treat it as a commodity to be bought and sold like any other. This is a sign of terrible spiritual decline, the rise of the Kaliyug and the triumph of the merchant. <laughs> okay. Okay. Does he have a, did, a, a oh. point at which point we started becoming like a bunch of tarts? Um, I think basically between somewhere between 1870 and 1950. Is that when we became it's, tarts? It's, that's, well, that, well, that's that's the gap because uh, that thread was very, very funny because it's like a lot of medievalists, sex experts and saying, no, sex has always been treated as a commodity to, to be bought yeah. and sold like any others. This has always been the case. Mm-hmm. You're, you're insane. Like, also you, treating you're it with reverence. Historical. Treating it with reverence. It's a, it's a, it's, I mean, unsurprisingly, it might surprise you to find that this person is a trad calf. (laughs) Oh, shit. With kind of Evola light tendencies. There was a, actually, there was one more that that gets packaged along with this take. Mm -hmm. Um, Barumi2022 replied, uh, when people were saying, you're an idiot, you need to study history, Mm -hmm. you don't, 
you haven't studied this, you don't know what you're talking about, uh, replied, I don't really care about social history, thanks. I'm more interested in a society's narratives it tells about itself, its ideals, which in the medieval Christian context is monogamous, monogamous, if not celibate. Sure, it did not live up to those ideals, but at least they existed. <laughs> okay, it's like, I, I don't that. care about social history. I'm more interested in a society's narrative it tells itself. <laughs> I don't care about what, about what happened. I care more about the make-believes. Yeah, what's well, so it's like? That's I don't awesome. care about what happened. I don't care about what happened. I care about what happened. Yeah, you know, it's like it's nonsense. Amazing. Another one of my favourites coming up next: Neil Ferguson. Oh, this guy. Uh, TikTok is not just China's revenge for the century of humiliation between the Opium Wars and Mao's revolution. It is the opium, digital <laughs> fentanyl, to get our hid- our kids stoked for the coming Chinese Imperium. Fantastic. Uh, maybe I, a smart is, person than I can tell me can tell me <laughs> what is distinctively Chinese about TikTok. To me, TikTok is it's owned by the Chinese. But like, if you're getting prepared, what are you getting them prepared for? If you're if if you want to go into some kind of like the digital economy is being reshaped in a particular way that makes it more amenable to particularly Chinese business interests. Yeah, I'd be very interested in that. But other than that, I really don't see the difference. But I don't see what makes it distinctively Chinese. Is TikTok ravaging our population like opium addiction? <laughs> yeah. The warlord period is very similar to uh, that time when somebody said, hey, hungry, I'm dad. <laughs> Just you like walking along a street, a seedy, disgusting street. You go into, like you go underneath a building, you look, the little steps that go down into the basement. You go in, you push past the curtains to lean back and watch your sea shanty TikToks. Uh, next we have Duncan Weldon, who okay. sounds like he should be a person, but I think it was just a rando. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was another conversation in round 650 million of Was the Empire Bad? The okay. Empire Bad? No doubt the Zulus were an expansionist power. Doesn't make the war any less imperialist, though. Um, somebody points out, well, that's only... The, the war is not imperialist on the Zulus' part because it's only imperialist if you see the Zulus as imperialists. Mm. Um, were the Zulus seeking to expand in Kent at the time? Yeah. Um, and a guy called Samuel Gloerson says, Yes! <laughs> You should study their history and mindset. Only your racial superiority complex makes you think that that idea was ridiculous. Zulu mindset. Eyes on Z- eyes on Tunbridge. Eyes on Tunbridge, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there is something to it. The Zulus were another one of those particular tribes that were coming to prominence. Yeah. But it happened to be at the time when you had a mechanised British Empire on the warpath. Yeah. Any other, any other time, if it had been the 1400s, the Zulus would have carved out an empire in South Africa, but they didn't. But... That's not just, what we're talking about. No, I just love the idea of eyes on Ken. It's just like it's like there's there's you know they're planning their day to day stuff, but always in the back of their minds they know they know that they need to take Rochester Bridge because otherwise they're not going to be able to get that steady path to London. Caesar knew it, Napoleon knew it, and now Shaka Zulu knows it. <laughs> um, so finally we have oh oh boy, Councillor Ian Manning. He okay. is a Lib Dem councillor. Nice. And uh, earlier in the year, he tweeted, I'm up early to start my fast for Lib Dem Iftar, what? Uh, which is the, uh, the, the, the the meal in Ramadan that you yeah. have after fasting when but the sun Lib goes Dem down. Iftar. Lib Dem Iftar. So it's like a community outreach thing. It's a, 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 that kind of thing. Very oh, okay. standard councillor stuff, right? Or it would have been had he not posted a picture of what he was having for Iftar, which was a load of hard-boiled eggs and a pile of bacon. <laughs> a load of hard-boiled eggs. Like, how many hard-boiled eggs are we talking about? It was about like here? four hard-boiled eggs and, oh. and a pile of bacon. Jesus. <laughs> like, okay, when people say that the British eat like shit and like their, their food is disgusting, it does annoy yeah. me sometimes because there's just so much really nice food. Oh, there's beautiful that's British. British food, yeah. But then you have people like this who's <laughs> like, oh, just enjoy my breakfast of burnt fucking pork fat and hard-boiled plain <laughs> eggs. <laughs> He he offered an explanation, which uh, was, he said, read the food photo. The important point is the fast. My allergies mean choices are limited. This is a learning experience. <laughs> I'm allergic to everything, not bacon. <laughs> this is a learning experience, and I'd prefer to be honest about it than not. Also, it was 4 a.m. and I was asleep. Running the full gamut of, by the yeah. way, of apology cultures. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <I> <laughs> it wasn't my fault. I'm ill. This is a learning experience. 
what do you want me to lie about it and also i was sleepy <laughs> <laughs> it's the full experience oh uh, so okay out of that lot what's your favorite oh it's krugman krugman oh that is that is because it's 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 relevant it's like it's, so much of my young adult and then adult life has been affected by american yeah. screaming about 911 there yeah. for example my parents have a Winnebago. They have an American Winnebago that they drive around in, and it was from America, and it has a 9-11 never forget thing on it. <laughs> and that's because, and that's like, you know, in like the Stars and Stripes ribbon and 9-11 never oh, forget. Yeah, yeah. Because they took it so well <laughs> that there was merch. Anything that produces merch, you know, has an outstanding cultural imprint. And yeah. just like, Paul Krugman also like, I, I can't remember his exact history, but he's been like a, a fairly straightforward economics yeah. correspondent for most of that time. I think he yeah. came up as like an anti-Bush, uh, yeah. a, a roughly liberal anti-Bush correspondent. He knows he was there. This isn't mm-hmm. him looking back at sources and trying to work it out. This is yeah. him talking from personal experience. That's you're wrong. Yeah. You're just, Outright wrong. That's fashioned so much of how we are. We don't get Trump without the 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 structure of anti-Muslim hysteria. You don't get Trump. Yeah. Despite the fact that yeah, he he moves from Muslim to Chinese to whoever in his targets. Like you don't get any of that without without thing. That was the mod. That was the model of modern racism. Yeah. Okay, next award is the Like Tears in Rain Award for things that have mysteriously disappeared. Nice. Um, It's obviously a different year. I think this has been a different year politically, not just because of COVID, but because the Corbyn question was finally settled. The Brexit question was largely settled. And so everything's settled into a new rhythm that people are still deranged at, but Hmm. trying to work their way through. But there's a few things that have kind of disappeared from our view of the discourse uh, very mysteriously. So first off, people's vote slash remain generally. Mm -hmm. Um, People's vote was an elite project doomed to failure by clashing personalities and a bizarre Blairite recidivism. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet this year has been, it it kind of folded just, I think actually just before the election in December, 2019. Mm -hmm. But this year has been entirely Brexit negotiations. And again, maybe understandably because of the COVID crisis, the details of negotiations have gone largely unreported other than a few moments of surfacing. Um, and he sort of Boris just kind of popped up in December and said, oh, we've got a deal now. Yeah. And considering the tone, the volume and the level of reaction to Brexit that had been happening in previous years, it seems very muted. It mm. seems very like even AC Grayling, um, the 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 original Fubby, mm-hmm. OG Fubby, yeah, um, was you know um, he started to mix up his his tweeting uh, in February. He tweeted, "Any chance that the announcement of Johnson's nth offspring and forthcoming royal wedding is timed to take floods, virus, Russians, Akuri, lies, incompetence, Patel." Referendum crimes, no deal, general disaster, etc. Off the news, he can't quite work out where to focus his mm. his wild words. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's still the, the the classic reaction. You know, there was uh, the woman who said, "Ah, we got the government to U-turn on A levels. Now get them to U-turn on Brexit." <laughs> um, and you know, there's still the kind of remain superiority of there was one guy yorkshire lad 87 said leavers think they're getting one over on me because of brexit but my parents will pay my mortgage and support me financially if need be (laughs) so however bad the economy gets i'll be fine how did they lose i just don't understand it with this winning hearts and minds thing of like oh do whatever you want i can't ever possibly suffer because i'm so fabulously wealthy how did they lose by saying daddy's going to buy me a big lollipop until we get back into the EU? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. While you're um, all struggling to find work and food, I'll just be sustaining myself on this big wobby-bop. <laughs> um, overall, like, yeah, you've got the same kind of attack lines. They're nowhere near as numerous. They're nowhere near as vicious. And, I mean, Starmer saying he would vote for a Brexit deal kind of went by, yeah, a few people said, the great betrayal. Hmm. But, you know, nobody... 
But they didn't really know, care. There wasn't a coup. To the barricades. Yeah. You know, no one's doing that anymore. And, um, I mean, nothing of people's vote remains. They, apparently it was going to get organised into another another group, hmm. another pro, uh, pro-EU group, but it, I don't think it's really happened. Or if it has, it certainly hasn't achieved much penetration. Yeah. There was the perhaps the most revealing thing as to why all of that stuff disappeared. There was an interview with Peter Mandelson earlier on in December. Yeah. Um, where he said, uh, this is the price we will pay for the triumph of hardline Tory Brexiters over those with a stronger sense of national interest in their party. It is also the price the rest of us in the pro-EU camp will pay for trying in the years following 2016 to reverse the referendum decision rather than achieve the least damaging form of Brexit. (laughs) As someone who was firmly in the reversal camp, I played my part in this outcome. Yet if I could turn the clock back, I have little doubt I would do the same again. (laughs) Of course he fucking would. (laughs) He... He stopped. I mean, you lost... Yeah. And you would do it again. Yeah. You know? I just, I just love that I'd still do the same again. Because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the Brexit we tried to stop. It was like the Brexit we tried to stop were the friends we made along the way. <laughs> you know, suddenly it's not the Labour Party's fault for voting for Brexit deals. You know, Starmer can whip to back it. There's no mm-hmm. wide scale condemnation, no shout of traitors. He's even able to signal that he's not really gonna back another referendum. Like yeah. he specifically said, Yeah, there's no, no I'm not gonna do anything about this. Mm. Silence. All of the, all of the funky voices muted like tears in rain. <laughs> there was that little thing with um, was it the led by donkeys did the projecting of the star thing on um ah uh, yeah New Year's Eve. that will that that's going to come up later yeah oh, definitely it? but <laughs> but it's it's half assed There's yeah. no I mean look there was never any political solution. Well, there was a political solution, but um. The real heart, like continuity, remain absolutely refused to to go along with it, which was vote for a lesser deal and then vote for a second referendum. But no, yeah. they wouldn't. They had yeah. to be dragged every step of the way, and now they're they're nothing. They're allowed to retreat into into kind of depression, and they're allowed to take that kind of melancholy. That melancholy belongs to the left, mate. <laughs> you don't get to have that. If you're a liberal, you don't get to co-opt emotional states like grief, despair. <laughs> those are ours. That's those are our things. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, so, you're sad now. Uh, I've been sad all my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so another thing that kind of disappeared. It might not have disappeared in 2020, but it certainly suddenly didn't seem to be that important. Fake news. Now, I know it's a specious category, what makes up fake news, and it's also that not the phenomenon itself is gone. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it was all the rage to diagnose, like, suddenly there was this huge information with... There was this huge issue with information and media control as, like, a symptom of societal decline. Yeah. Only to kind of not really come to any conclusions or have any consequences for any media or any information peddlers whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I mean, with COVID, especially this year, you've had regular anti-vaxxer viewpoints put out in the media. There's mask trutherism. Every one of the right-wing papers teeters on the brink of outright calling COVID fake. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, again, not even counting the stuff about, like, BLM, uh, Black Lives Matter being uh, inherently anti-Semitic. Yeah. That kind of stuff got regularly published. Yeah. But there's no, there's no like, cry of fake news about that. And it seems to be not to be important, mm-hmm. you know? I think, like, it's important to remember, like, we've always been lied to. Mm-hmm. But why did it fake news appear at a prob- as a problem at that exact moment in, like, 2016? Yeah. It just so happened to come out, come up with the time when alternative political movements, both right and left, appeared. And suddenly these voices had an outlet in new varieties of social media. And suddenly we're moved to talk about fake news. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a country where, like, five companies control 80% of the media. And, yeah. You know, Google and Facebook pick up the lion's share of online content. You know, what's interesting about its disappearance is that suddenly there's no need to talk about information control. There's been multiple, multiple times uh, this year when people have uh, lamented the fact that the newspaper industry is in decline and say, saying, like, don't share stuff for free online. We deserve, our labour deserves to get recompensed. Yeah. And it's like... I can judge whether you lie or not and then decide whether to give you money. If you mm-hmm. don't, I'll fucking steal what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aside from the fact that I'm not actually stealing anything because The Guardian is fucking free, you dunces. Yeah. Um, 
And it's just like, you know, suddenly there's no talk about information control. We're happy to kind of lord the fearless seekers of truth who read out a press release twice a day and call it informed content. Mm -hmm. But no, yeah, sure. The canary is the one that is the threat to fucking uh, everything we hold dear. Yeah. You know, The Spectator publishes literal anti-Semitism numerous times, including this year, by the way. Yeah, what, um, was, what was this year's one? Uh, it was... Yeah, it was Douglas Murray um, publishing something about uh, how a new Holocaust memorial sought to spread like German war guilt to the rest of Western civilization and make people feel guilty for not allowing migrants in when they didn't allow like kinder transports into their countries. Like, I'm sorry, that's actively anti-Semitic and it not a word. Yeah, not a word. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like examine the media landscape after fake news was supposed to have been solved. Who's in charge? It's grifters. Yeah. Grifters, blowhards, liars and thieves. Yep. Uh, all of the people who are in charge now, it's objectively worse. Like, journalists and media in general get scammed and grifted every single day. And that was after, supposedly, we were meant to look at lies more yeah. more prominently, you know? Yeah. Why is that? The next one, uh, anti-Semitism. Yeah. I mean, have you heard, like, the Labour Party is not an- institutionally anti-Semitic anymore? Um, it's no, really good. The thing is, this is one that it is still being talked about on Twitter, but not way near mm-hmm. to the same degree. Um, but I, it's barely covered in the fucking news at all anymore. No, but it's moved now. It's moved to individuals as opposed to the institution yeah. of the Labour Party. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. that you know when you have takes like uh, Tanya Gold talking about um, to- saying Tory anti-Semitism is largely snobbery and xenophobia. Jews are alien, common. The left prefers conspiracy theories of subversion and control, which are far more dangerous. They move into the mainstream and are embraced by the far right. <laughs> oh, that they learned it from the left. The left, right? They're so anti-Semitic, even the far right can't keep from uh, repeating their anti-Semitism. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They're subjected to so much anti-Semitism that they themselves... Were... It's like, no, that's not, that's not true. Well, yeah, you have it with, like, you... um, with uh, yeah. the, the notion that... Like, we had it this week... With like with that fucking Raphael Bear thing of like everyone who campaigned for the Labour yes. Party are, are, yeah. are like Nazis, um, whereas you know now if you campaign for the Labour Party, I'm pretty certain that if you don't campaign for the Labour Party now, you'll be seen as like very bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously there's the um, the ultras on Twitter who mm-hmm. try to like really push anti-Semitism as as being against particular people. You know, the Tracy Ann Albermans, yeah. like the, the ag- agrocentrists, yeah, yeah. who, uh, when Lawrence Fox made those uh, comments on Question Time that started his political career, <laughs> yeah. um, she responded, like, basically, e- Equity, the Ethnic Members Committee of Equity mm-hmm. called on members of their group, their union, whatever, to denounce Lawrence Fox. Yeah. And she responded, wow, you do know left-leaning writers and actors were blacklisted and denounced under McCarthyism. How can you ask for a blanket denouncement of Lawrence Fox? This is the language of fascism and Stalinism. <laughs> and it's like, how did that How did that shift so quickly? Yeah. You, like, what? Well, I know I mean, the, the thing at the moment yeah. that um, David Collier is starting is um, a big, essentially a big list of all academics that he thinks, that he thinks are anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's things like David Abrahams, uh, who was a Blair-era Labour donor. He yeah. started donating again, yeah. um, despite having things like um, accusing Muslims of having mixed loyalties. And in a, in a, a throwback back in 2016, um, he tweeted about Jeremy Corbyn's uh, brother, you know, Piers Corbyn. Yeah. Um, he said, is this coming from his brother, who looks Jewish due to Corbyn's family Jewish links? <laughs> what? It, the fuck? Jesus. But yeah, that doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. That, that's so, a, so, that's one like the yeah like if like rightfully he should give back. Um, Keir Starmer should like say that the money we're not taking that money from him. Yeah, um, but he won't be pushed to. No, he that's won't be. The they would have been thing. they would have been shouting yeah. for Corbyn to do that forever. Mm. Um, uh, just to to cap this one off because I mean it's it's a whole fucking episode in and of itself. Hmm. Just this this whole thing. Um, l- earlier in the year, uh, David Hirsch. Hmm. Um, called for the expulsion of the Jewish Voice of Labour, hmm. their JVL crew, yeah. saying the Labour Party must oppose those who fight for anti-Semitic politics, including Jewish members. So what is anti-Semitic politics? 
what it what what is it specifically yeah. that is anti-Semitic politics? Because again, it's this whole conversation has been conducted largely pictorially and yeah. using simile. It's like the root, the poison, yeah. the rot, the corruption. These are not things that can be measured quanti- quantifiably. So the fact that you have said it, that that you know largely it has become far far less prominent and frankly anti-Semitic uh, opinions have been allowed to pass without the same level of like uh vituperation yeah that means something yeah because it's not anti-semitism from people you're fighting anti-semitic politics you can redefine that to mean whatever you mean and you know what is an anti-semitic politics that jewish people might support Hmm. what is that (laughs) you know that's yeah um just as an, uh, an example, like um, the most egregious thing I saw around this stuff was uh, the stuff around Elinette Anderson. Yeah. So she was, she's like 21 years old, uh, regional ambassador of the Holocaust Educational Trust, backed by Jewish labor movement, and she was standing for the chair of Young Labor. Okay. Um, <laughs> young, but, you know, classically for quite a lot of young labor, she seemed to be something of a Blairite, but I, I, I don't know enough to... to call her politics from that yeah i do know enough from her politics to say that when it emerged that she had posted in the young free speech society's facebook group this facebook group had the banner image of free speech is not the same as comfortable speech guess what there's a lot of denial of happening on there (laughs) um under the thread have you ever met seen or know of a physically attractive nazi she wrote look i know they were evil bastards but eichmann and a young ribbentrop were incredibly good looking and it's like you know, it's a it's a hot take, but uh, it, you know, you could you could probably it's incredibly bad taste and it's incredibly stupid. Yeah. Um, but what like, I'm not I'm not even making a judgment here. What I'm interested in is the reaction to. Yeah. It. So Jewish Chronicle reported that David Tube, uh, director of policy at Quilliam, said this isn't a problem. Jews aren't upset by this sort of thing. Honestly, this over policing of speech has to stop. If it doesn't, we will end up with politicians who speak exclusively in empty platitudes. Some might say we're there already. <laughs> There was a thread stemming from her. So she resigned uh, from standing for for the chair of Young Labour. And the thread stemming from that resignation, eye-opening. David Bennon, um, who was a quietest writer, who got very agrocentrist about anti-Semitism, who wrote a whole thing about how disregarding what Jewish people have to say about Corbyn is is de facto anti-Semitism. He said... I am sure the great majority of us has had zero problem with this. Elinid Anderson hasn't done anything wrong, and it's daft she had to resign as a young Labour candidate over it. David Badil, literally zero wrong with what Elinid has posted here. Literally although personally, zero. Although personally, I've always had the hots for Albert Speer. Victoria Corin Mitchell, also it's hard to tell whether or not Eichmann was good looking because he looked so much like Bing Crosby. Someone <laughs> said, just dreaming of a Reich Christmas. And, and then, Victoria Corin Mitchell does the claps emoji. Of course. Then then David Badil follows up with, don't barbed wire fence me in. <laughs> Just look, you're allowed to look. If you're of Jewish heritage, you, there's a, a capacity for Holocaust jokes that uh, is not available to everyone else. I understand that. But it wouldn't have happened if you did. I don't know Elinette Anderson's politics, but I can take a fucking guess from the people who are excusing her of saying this really stupid thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and when it becomes that, when it's reaching for ammunition to throw at your political enemies and not actually engaging with the content of what it is, yeah, that is what makes it. it all the grim and in serious intoning goes out of the window. Like the whiplash of tone when it's somebody of your political tendency mm. is palpable. You know, yeah. Just to finish off uh, on this Alan Ed Anderson resignation, someone uh, at Nice Cupper, they're a blue tick, I think, but whatever just seen what sparked all of this and if it's any consolation grandchild of holocaust survivors here saying i've seen much worse from people who have failed to apologize or accept responsibility for their words well done for doing both things and then someone replies to that saying she failed to apologize to the romani community romani obviously persecuted during the uh, the holocaust as well yeah. uh, this at nice cuppa responds oh go away woke boy because <laughs> exactly. of course yeah because as soon as it stretches onto your people, you're yep. being too woke, too restrictive, too free speech. Yep. But when it's your political enemy, no, yep. Auschwitz is being yeah. reopened and we have to take that seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you don't. If you're serious about it, it has to, it has to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. It's, no. Uh, next, we have things that disappeared. Labour Party rules. I wasn't really sure how to 
put how to put this any okay. better. Um, so, do you remember uh, we all became experts in Labour Party protocols, policies, and rules uh, for no really good reason <laughs> because yeah. they were never used. Yeah. Um, I started thinking about this when I was going back through it, and I saw that thread of uh, Thangam Debonair, Labour MP, oh, yeah. accusing Ash Sarkar of being a communist oh, yeah, and therefore she's... not not being eligible to be a Labour Party member. Because she's, in a mem- she's a member of the Communist Party. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Ash has said repeatedly and clearly on national TV that she is, quote, literally a communist. Clause 2, Chapter 2, Clause 1, Section 4B of Labour Rules prohibits people who support excuse me, who support other parties from joining the Labour Party. They are welcome to campaign, of course. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And then the best uh, comeback to that was, of course, a couple of months later, Keir Starmer floats the idea that Labour should look again at the rule that would usually ban anyone who stood against official Labour candidates in the last general election from rejoining. Because <laughs> <laughs> so he just wanted to change UK back, didn't he? It's 100% because he wants, um, what's the face? Uh... Not Gapes, I mean, Luciana well, Berger. he might want Gapes back. Luciana, Luciana Berger, Berger. He wants Luciana Berger. Them, yeah. Maybe Chaka but no, yeah, he, wants Luciana, no he wants Luciana Berger back because, I mean, it would, it, it would, it would be good. a PR-friendly cleansing moment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and give Alistair Campbell his membership back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, the EHRC report came out and... There was a lot of stuff about interfering in uh, the complaints process. Actually, mm-hmm. there were only two specific things proven that they were interfering in the complaints process, which was uh, there was one one from a woman where it, it, she they in, I think both I think both of them one was Ken Livingston yeah. and one was another woman uh, Labour councillor and I think in both cases the leadership intervened sure to speed up their suspension yeah <laughs> which is you know exactly the opposite of uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Corbyn uh, being suspended, uh, he wasn't given three days' notice. They banned CLPs from discussion of the report. Apparently, this was because um, uh, when when asked why CLPs were banned from discussing it, France, uh, Fraser Welsh, the head of internal governance, governance explained that um, motions from CLPs of this of this type would be ruled out of order because the Labour Party will ensure. The party is a welcoming home to all members of all communities, no prejudice or discrimination based on race, ethnicity and religion. And it's like, so it's de facto anti-Semitic to mention... <laughs> to talk that, about it at all, yeah. To talk about it at all, you know? Again, it's like, well, rules? No? The reason why this is so important is that because, of course, with all the deselecting of MPs, we all got really, really invested in what the rules actually were yeah. and what rules were being bo- broken. We spent two hours going through that internal um, those into those internal report from the yeah, Labour that, Party that leaked on about that. the complaints process. Yeah, and you know we learned way more than we ever needed to know. Definitely. And this, it doesn't matter. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to bitch about it because, like, I ex- I'm a realist. I accept that it's war. Yeah, it's it's galling that we didn't accept that it was the we people <laughs> didn't accept that it was war at the time. Yeah, um, and that these things have to be done. But you know. These things that were incredibly important, that were like covered in the media, covered in the EHRC, and just promptly, promptly ignored the second mm-hmm. that the report came out. Every time a centrist MP was threatened, these were you know desperately important things. Mm-hmm. These were the like, the blue line between civilization and barbarism. And now Stalinist purges are back on the menu, boys. Yeah, you know, just disappeared completely. Incredible. Uh, finally. Um, Something that isn't fucking to do with the Labour Party. Um, something else that disappeared this year, the Northern Irish border. <laughs> um, yeah. So it wasn't last year, really. It wasn't 2020, but yeah. definitely in 2019. The status of Northern Ireland was a huge thing within the Brexit process. Mm. Right. This kind of follows on from like uh, coverage of Brexit kind of disappearing and remain disappearing. Um, this was the most important thing, you know, all of the demands in the Brexit deal didn't mean anything if Northern Ireland was kept in the EU and there was a border put up between the UK and Ireland. Hmm. There was, like, revolts in the Tory party over it. It would be the worst thing to ever happen, because if you're a Tory, you are a unionist. It's there mm-hmm. in the name. They're yep. called the Conservative and Unionist Party. Um, they were going to man the barricades. It definitely, they would not have a Brexit like this. And even as late as September, Boris was threatening to derail the entire thing the entire deal, the withdrawal agreement yep. that he signed last December to make sure that Northern Ireland followed the same system. Come December 2020, 
Northern Ireland's in the single market still. Yep. They still have a right to an Irish passport and therefore to be an EU citizen. There are trade barriers between the rest of the UK and Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's fine. And this isn't this isn't a big deal. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything on it. Mm-hmm. No Conservative MP has said it. Now, of course, I know the real politic behind this, which is fucking sick of Brexit. I never want to talk about it again. <laughs> but just nothing. It just, dis- it just disappeared. Yeah. Other than that brief, that brief flurry in September where everyone said, oh, my God, this is the end of liberal governance mm-hmm. when he was going to rip, rip up the withdrawal agreement. And yeah. it's like, no, nothing. It's just, it's just there. Just, just done. Just, I don't really have anything to say about it because there was <laughs> nothing said about it. It is a part of the EU. Northern Ireland is currently a part of the EU and the UK is not. There is a barrier down the Irish Sea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good, good on you, I guess. I mean, if it works for you, fucking whatever. Or just, you know, hastens along the unification of Ireland. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. They're operating under the same system. Yeah, makes it easier. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. What do you think is the most significant thing that has just disappeared? Fuck People's please. vote remain, fake news, anti-Semitism, uh, Labour Party rules, or the Northern Irish border. Fuppies. Fuppies, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think we spent so long. I, I really didn't want to cover them anymore because, again, it was low-hanging fruit. And yeah. They've gone. And they've done me a favour. Yeah. Because they're not. They're not producing anything. There's nothing. There's no hot takes. Yeah. It'd there's be no... interesting to see if, if, like, in years to come, they yeah. like, what's left... The, the most extreme ones that are left mer- like form some kind of rejoin group. Because I've heard I mean, some people mention rejoin, but, you know, like, it actually become a thing. Like, you know, you'd see probably only the most hardcore ones, so maybe James O'Brien. But I think he knows which way his bread is buttered, and I imagine the ratings have gone down a little bit in the last year. Um, but people like uh, Madalena Kay. I could see Madalena Kay sing some fantastic songs about rejoining the EU. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, because there's no real comparison with any other historical event. Like, mm. I mean, it's not really a nationalist moment because the country's so divided. You, mm-hmm. know? you don't you don't get to make, like, as much as Brexiteers want to try, they're not going to make a national myth out of it. No. Not like an Irish independence or an Indian independence or, or a US independence. You mm. know, you're not, you're not, you're not making any more myths. We've got enough nationalist <laughs> myths. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's weird. It's just kind of damp fart, really. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, so do you reckon that? I reckon I, I would go with that, yeah. I think yeah, that's, that's pretty significant. Vote.